Hey, Jason, you know, we've been playing this alphabet game, the Sesame Street alphabet game now for the last four weeks, but I wanted to reiterate again because I keep looking, I keep I keep getting those email campaigns for the GFMC conference in Atlanta, Georgia through AMT. It looks great. Have you seen the speakers? Um, yeah, I have. The speakers look great. And did you know that they've been doing this conference for 40 years? 40? That's almost as old as me. I know, almost. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I it mean, is crazy. And, and you know what? The companies that are really growing are the ones that are paying attention to what's coming down the horizon. They're looking at the global environment. They're forecasting their business. And I would love to see a lot of shops out there doing that same thing. you got to get out there. You've got to network. You've got to be with your peers. You've got to see what's exciting in the industry. And you've got to hear what's in the pipeline for the future. So when is this conference? It's October 11th through the 13th in downtown Atlanta, Georgia at the Marriott Marquis. Go to amtonline.org forward slash GFMC. Register now. And so he says to me, find somebody new. You put an ad in the Chicago Tribune. And found a new guy, and my dad's like, okay, he reports to you. He was 50-something, and I am 20-something, and I know nothing about golf. That's admirable, Stacia. <laughs> if the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. This is part two of our interview with Stacia Hobson. So tell me his reaction to that. <laughs> he just looked at me like he didn't know what to think. And, and it was like one of those, did I just hear what I thought I just heard? And so he goes, huh, and walked out. <laughs> How empowering that you. must have been, though. Yes, and it was. And he never tried to fire me again. <laughs> wow. And and how how, how was your story. relationship after that? Was, yeah. was everything okay? Oh no, still stormy. Okay, you okay. know, I mean, we disagreed a lot, and I mean, it is what it is, you know. And but I think that's true. It's just different because it's your dad. Of course, it, it's versus, hard. It's hard. Yeah, you know, versus somebody who I don't know. Yeah. So you know? I, I've I've gone th- not not exactly quite like that, but my dad, I'm the firstborn, the type A personality, very driven and very headstrong and stubborn, um, which sounds like much like yourself. Right. Um, and, and so we've we've gotten into some challenges over the years. And and one day, you know, just recently, my dad came to me and he said, "I'm not fighting with you anymore." And I said, "Really? Okay." <laughs> and and you know, he was like, "I'm just not fighting with you anymore." He's like, "I'm I'm getting ready to retire, and I want to be your dad." And I was like, "Well, I want to be your son too." And and you know, and, and he was like, "I don't I don't want to get into these fights anymore." And he stuck to his word, and he has not. He he will. He just won't fight. You know what I mean? And and I and he's actually kept me grounded because I'll like 
want to poke him and you know and try to stir the bear up a little bit and and he's like i'm not fighting with you so you know we're not we're not going to have this conversation and and so it's it's actually been very helpful for me over the last year that it's like you know he just has refused to have any kind of like heated discussion with me and 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 it's been better <laughs> you know what i mean and just because he laid the groundwork he said it's not going to happen anymore and and so it's been good and sometimes sometimes you have to stand up for yourself and sometimes you just have to say we're not fighting anymore right so that's how about your brother did he have those same kind of roadblocks with your dad he had different roadblocks right and I don't really know all the nitty-gritty details. Right. My brother is extremely bright, and as is my dad, and they both have very engineering minds. That's how their head thinks. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm the kid that my dad always wanted, and my brother is the child that my father always wanted to be. Mm, interesting. You know? Yep. And my, you know... So they have certainly gone around the gamut, but in a very different, more of a competitive way mm-hmm. versus, and, and that could also be, you know, the, because of the same sex too. Yeah. Who can out engineer the other one? Right, right. Yes. So you're, you're going along and you're getting fired all these times and you're coming back and when did you have your aha moment? So 87 you started in and I, I would imagine you're a few years in now. There had to have been a time when you and your dad was moving out of the business and you and your brother decided that you're going to really work together to grow the business and make it, you know, a viable business. When you said, this is it. I know this is my destiny. This is what I like. And and you really started that you really started to see to move the needle on the business and you've really started to see growth. When was that? And how did that all come about? Well, the business has always been evolving. And I honestly never thought that I would be here this long. Mm-hmm. It was not well, like... Well, after you get fired several times, you're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to be coming back to this. You know? So I imagine so. <laughs> you know, it was just, you know, and it just, just continued to keep my interest because, you know, I have a little bit of a chase shiny objects problem. And so I need, you know, new things to keep moving I towards. feel your pain. Right? I mean, it's very easy to like, oh, there's a rabbit. <laughs> I make Jim nuts with that. <laughs> you gotta go. And, um, and my dad. <laughs> and I respect you. Thanks. And, you know, we started out really as a 100% distributor. And through a lot of my impetus with my father, we are now a 100% manufacturer. And that comes with a lot of a lot of change. So you used to source all the product that you sell from other manufacturing Correct. companies. And no you went kidding. to your dad and you said, we need to insource the manufacturing of this product so that we can control the quality, get the awards from Caterpillar, and really control our costs and be able to be competitive more on a global six scale. I assume that that's part of the conversation. Well, that that's the conversation I would have now at age 52. But <laughs> Twenty-four. <laughs> You're that not was, thinking that, that way. way. I was not thinking that way. <laughs> no. Hence the fights and the firings and all that kind of stuff. So how, how did you make that transition from from basically being a buyer of manufactured products to a manufacturer? Yeah, a very interesting dynamic. Well, it it came down to we couldn't get product from the people that we were buying product from, 
And what do you mean you couldn't get it? They were they, they were, were not delivering on time. Okay, not okay. even close to on time. Okay, and I was I had customers that I was servicing because I was at that point in time in sales. And I was also buying, and I'm caught in between, and I'm like, yeah, we don't have product yet. And then I'm calling, where's our product? Right. We don't have product yet, sorry. Where's our product? You know. And so I was just going nuts, and I said, you know, we need to do this ourselves. Because and, you've got, you're in full control then. Yeah, and I just said, you know, we need to do this. And I'm 24. I have no idea, no clue the grit that it took to to go through this and you have to learn a whole new skill set at that yeah. point yeah i mean a, and a cultural change too. everything and so he's like all right and he started going out and looking at cold headers and he hired a guy that said he knew everything there was to know about cold headers and we set up we were in wooddale and we set up in bedford park and the little cold heading shop there and we still weren't getting product so I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is not working. And of course, costing a ton of money. So I said, Dad, like I know anything, Dad, let me go down and see what's going on. Let me just observe for a week what's going on. And he's like, whatever. This was your facility. You started up the Bedford Park facility, bought a cold-headed machine, and you put somebody in charge of that manufacturing, but they weren't getting the job done. Correct. They still weren't. They still were. Is it because it was off-site, you think? Or you had the wrong person, you had the wrong player? Right. So I went down, I watched for a week, and I came back to my dad, and I'm like, that guy, not the right guy. I'm like, he cannot find his way out of a paper bag with both ends open. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And so my dad being... You know, here I am, 24, telling him this, and it's his guy, and so on and so forth. So I've completely insulted him. And so he says to me, fine, you find somebody new. Oh, no. So I did. And... You put an ad in the Chicago Tribune. (laughs) And found a new guy, and my dad's like, okay, he reports to you. He was 50-something, and I am 20-something, and I know nothing about (laughs) That's admirable, though, (laughs) Stacia. And so, and then he made me let go the guy that he had hired. So I had to let him go, but I kept his daughter who worked for us. And yeah, which was also an interesting conversation. I bet. And hired Steve in and and Steve and I went round and round, man. (laughs) So in in hindsight, for somebody that would go from not manufacturing to manufacturing the product that they sell, um, is there anything you would do differently? I would definitely, because both my dad and I are fly by the seat of your pants kind of people. Yeah, you just went out and bought the cold heading machine and some material and like, let's get to work. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so you would have been more strategic than that? Yes. So that would be my advice, to be a little bit more strategic. Okay. Anything else? To know that whatever you think you're going to spend... It's going to cost easily more. Easily double it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Easily double it and, you know, and make sure your key, your, your key players know what they're doing i mean that they've done it before that they you know and and that's pretty simple but in you know in your fly by the seat of your pants kind of world it's it's wasn't that simple and as anybody knows out there you hire somebody and they'll tell you that they know everything 
you know, you need to come up with a plan that ensures that they, especially with a startup, that they really do know everything that they say that they know. Mm-hmm. And that's a good segue to where I want to go with this now, because, you know, all of us in the manufacturing industry right now, have, there's a huge skilled labor shortage. So I would imagine you're going through the same pains as Car Machine and Tool, as Zanger, as anybody else out there um, in any, you know, tool and die shop, machine shop, plastic injection mold shop. Tell us how you're trying to combat that and what you're, what you're trying to do to recruit new talent or recruit skilled people. Any techniques that you're using that have been successful? Um, no, the the best thing that we have done is take unskilled labor and make them skilled yep. and find someone who needs a job and who relatively has their act together. Like they can get to work. They have transportation, that kind of deal and train them from the ground up, you know, give them more skills, give them the opportunity for better life to make more money. Correct. Are there any key characteristics that you look for when you're, interviewing that unskilled worker that is like, oh, this this guy or this gal may have it. She's got these characteristics that are aligned with successes that we've had in the shop right now. Well, a lot of, you know, we've got the mechanical mindset kind of side of sure, things. Sure, sure. So someone who comes in and, you know, will ask them questions, you know, like what do you do for hobbies You know what, because that tells you a lot about what people's capabilities are. And, and if they say anything about cars, you know, (laughs) bikes, that kind of stuff, then, you know, they're going to be somewhat mechanically inclined. Mm -hmm. And if we have that component, just that mindset, because it's not every, not everybody's an engineer. No, you're right. You know, so if you have just that little bit of mindset, then you can develop that. And then, you know, you, we have that very repetitive assembly work. So if you find someone that doesn't mind that assembly work and it, and it's not it's not skilled, but to find somebody that can manage that same process day in and day out, then you build on that. And I agree with you, Stacia. That's the same thing I look for, too. I look for people that have good math skills, what they do, what their hobbies are. If they were involved in the industrial arts program in high school or automotive, those are all like little nuggets of things that it, like I, I put like a, a green dot you know, next to their, their, on their application. If, if they have those things and it's something that is, a, it is powerful for me to hear that they've done. And typically, we have good successes when we go to train those type of um, personalities. But so just uh, I know we're running a little bit longer on time right now, but I'm enjoying the conversation so much. Um, what What have you seen in your industry that has been the most major or dramatic change over the last five to 10 years? Well, price instability of metal. Has been. Oh, I'm sure that's a has been yeah. a bit tough to manage. Yeah, because you have to keep your price per product relatively stable, right? And then manage those ups and downs with the material. How do how do you how do you manage that? I mean, what percentage of your product or what percentage of your overall cost is the cost of the material? 
Um, it depends upon the product line. Okay. So it can be as high as 58, 60%. Okay. Which is high. That's significant. Which yeah. is significant. Yeah. And that is on the most expensive, which is the copper. I do a bunch of copper work. And a one and three sixteenths diameter by eight inch long <laughs> piece of copper. Right. Well, not quite that big, but. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so the copper, the fluctuation has been a bit. Oh, I'm a sure. Challenge. Fortunately, that's probably not a big percentage of your overall sales. Would be the copper, I would assume. No, it's not. But like now, um, stainless nickel is going up, mm-hmm. and so that's driving all my stainless prices. And for the most part, we just roll with it. We, I look at it that we win and we lose, and we win because the market, you know, you try to keep fluctuates. a median price in there, right? And, and stay and within there. And sometimes you're going to lose, and sometimes you're going to win. Exactly. And we have it set up with one of my large stainless suppliers that. We bill them surcharges, and as the price drops, they don't pay as much surcharge. And when the price goes up, they pay more surcharge. And that's kind of how it rolls. Hey, Jason, what are you doing next Wednesday, September 13th? I'm actually going to an open house at my wife's company. You are? Yep. And then you told me we, we got to drive out to Fort Wayne, Indiana for an interview. Well, we're going to be there. We're going to be at GT Automation and we're going to be interviewing a Zometry executive, the host company that GT Automation is a manufacturing partner. We're going to actually be able to tour that manufacturing facility and see how the whole process works with Zometry and how they get work, produce work, and ship it out. It's going to be exciting. That does sound exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole new way of operating a small business. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Zometry.com. Check it out. You can sign up to become their manufacturing partner, make parts for them. Or if you're overloaded in your shop, you can go to Zometry.com and get an instant quote by supplying them with a 3D model. Within a few clicks, you've got a price and a delivery. Pretty awesome. So lastly, before we, we go, I, I noticed on your bio on LinkedIn that uh, you were recently awarded a Toastmasters Division International Speech Contest. Tell us a little bit about that, because Jason's always trying to get us involved in you know, bettering ourselves as podcasters and trying to improve our articulation and the way we uh, take a podcast and move it forward and and actually just improve our overall speech. Well, I, I'm just a, a big fan of just you're always educating and improving yourself. And um, I think that's just one component. Yeah, it is. That we, you know, I, I don't think anybody should ever just rest and say, you know, I went through college or I went through high school and I'm done getting educated. I think it's a daily thing that you need to do. You need to, you know, educate yourself every day and share what you learn every day. Totally agree. Yeah, cuz you're an operational person, so you know, you don't you know, you're not necessarily giving those big speeches all the time. So is that is this a hobby for you? Well, it started out actually because I became the women's chairperson for the WTMA and I found myself having to do introductions. And while I've done a lot of public speaking, it was just you know, it's always been more freelance, so to speak. And to give up and do an appropriate introduction, I just, um, I mean, I did fine, but I wanted to feel confident in it. And so someone- Confidence is everything. Confidence is everything. So I started going to Toastmasters and found that I am really adept 
at speaking publicly. And I decided to enter their international speech contest, which sounds on the surface as like, oh, it's a little speech contest. It's seven minutes, and the Toastmaster rules, is ver- they're very, very specific. And seven minutes, while it may sound like a long time, is not a long time. Mm-hmm. So and you have to get your point across very quickly. Exactly. And, and, th- and, and thoroughly, yeah. you know. And so we have, you have your club, your own club you have to compete in and win that. And then you have the area. And you have to keep the only winners go on. So I had to win that. And then we had uh, division and had to win that. And then I was into district and I did not win district. But by the time I got to district, I'm competing against professional public speakers. People that are being hired by corporations to deliver speeches. It made you feel pretty good. It did make me feel really good. And I learned a tremendous amount about myself and about delivery. And it's not just what you think. And I also learned a lot about people and, you know, my own capacity emotionally and communicating that as well as people in the audience and their ability to receive it based on how well you're connecting with them. Mm -hmm. That's great. And and what was the the speech about? The speech was about the 2001 recession and having... Oh, 2001. 2001. And having that was really the first time that I had to experience a recession by myself without, you know previous recessions, my dad took care of it, right? So they're never any fun. And they aren't. And so this was my my first one. And here I was like, how do you how do you not lay anybody off? Mm -hmm. How do you manage that? And what do you do? And so on and so forth. And so my speech was about that and about really having I had hired a business coach prior to the recession. But her conversation with me, which basically she kicked me in the butt and said, sister, you know, stop crying and get up and do something about it. You're capable, you are smart enough to turn this around and went out and found new business and which saved saved everybody's jobs, and I didn't end up laying you off. Did not anybody. have to lay anybody off. No. Yeah, we talk about the re- recession. We've done actually quite a few podcasts on it already, and yeah. how to prepare for it. And I mean, I I agree with you, Stacia. Uh, I used to hate when we go into a recession. I mean, my stomach. I used to get I, sick at my stomach every time a recession would come because it's like. You're looking out in the shop. You have no work. You know what's coming in. There's no new work. What do you do? You cut hours. I mean, it's it's agonizing. It's agonizing. And you want to hear a fact? Yes, I do. There's a recession coming because there always is. There's always a recession. We just don't yeah. know when it's going to be here yeah. and how deep it's going to be. Hopefully, it won't be anything like the last one we went through in 08, right? That was awful. That yeah. was the worst. That yeah. was the worst. And, right? and I've, I've listened to, I mean, I try to track these things, and I've listened to economists talk about this. And um, the last time I heard is that there, there there may be one coming in 2019. Now here it being pushed out to 2020. Um, but it's 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 always around the corner. It's always you around know? the corner. It's, it's farther away, usually, after you just get out of one. But it's it's always looming. Yeah. 
you know, it's like every, you know, I kind of joke with Jim, but this, you know, you're always a day closer to death. You're always a day closer to recession too. And just, you know, I mean, I hate that. I mean, it's not, it's kind of morbid thinking, but I mean, you, you, it's a good thing to be prepared for too, you know? And there is no way to be really prepared. I mean, there's some things you could do in order to better yourself. About it. Yeah. I mean, I transformed my company through through some of the recessions because I prepared myself and took advantage sure. of the opportunities that were lying in wait mm-hmm. um, you know when that happened and I think that you can do that you know I mean I was able to take advantage of other I mean I hate to say it I well I, I should say it in a more positive manner I, I provided long-term careers for people that would have been desolate you know and I Bought a, I, I've written checks to banks to buy out companies in order to bring them on board and, and end up transforming my company. So yeah. there's other good things that can happen out of it. Oh, yeah. So why don't we wrap it up? Um, that was well, a, I, could, I could talk to Stacia for another I know, hour. I, know, I mean, I, I, Well, she's a trained speaker, so of course I know. you can. I, mean, I, she I just, told you you, you know, were going to love her. I mean, I mean, I don't really didn't know her quite all that much, but I knew she had a very impactful story to tell. Talking about the family dynamic business, I mean, it, you know, it, and I always say this at we the end of the show. We all have issues with these things. I you know, know I've I got know. a dad, I've got a sister, you know, you've oh got a sister, God. you've got a dad. I mean, you know, and so many manufacturing leaders out there do too. It's a tough situation to navigate those things. It really, really is, Jason. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's a big $100 million manufacturing company or a small $1 million manufacturing company, all the family dynamics are there. And we all go through it. Everyone handles them a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, they're all there. We all have those same stories. And it's just so it's refreshing to hear how you navigated Stacia through your family dynamics. And, you know, I, we've interviewed quite a few people that have had the same issues and just how everyone just handled it. And I think at the end of the day, it's just doing what you feel is right and just being confident and standing up and moving forward and don't look back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is a great testament that, you know, you need to be bettering yourself on um, a day-to-day basis. And, you know, not everybody out there has to do Toastmasters, has to deliver speeches. Um, but every manufacturing leader out there, I mean, you should know how to have a good conversation and how to get your points across effectively. And you don't necessarily have to join Toastmasters, but there's a lot of ways out there in order to improve that. And, you know, maybe you and I, we should go, let's do an intensive conference and, you know, get I'm better. Down. I told this. you the other day. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to do that. I'm, I'm ready to pull the trigger on that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, thank you, Stacia, so much for taking the time out of your day and yeah, coming to the you, studio Stacia. and get in front of the mic. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. And if anyone wants to connect with you on LinkedIn, it's Stacia, S-T-A-C-I-A, Hobson, H-O-B-S-O-N. Her company name is imageindustries.com. And I'm sure she'd be happy to connect with you on absolutely. those two platforms. Hey, Jason, you know, we've been talking a lot about the GFMC conference in Atlanta, Georgia, October 11th through the 13th. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, I haven't pulled the trigger yet on going yet. Did, have you looked at it? You know, I was looking the other day at their lineup of speakers, and there's this one guy, Charlie Chesbro, and he really looked interesting. He's the senior economist at Cox Automotive. I bet he's really could tell us. Uh, give us some good insight as to the automotive industry. Well, you know, I'm I'm 
glad that you mentioned that because I actually I have a lot of customers that are a lot of clients that are you know second third tier suppliers making parts for the automotive industry and you know it's up and it's down and it's you know kind of you know you're getting a lot of whiplash there and sideways and so I would love to get a better understanding as far as what the outlook is for those customers so that I can give them that information and I can better prepare myself for the future as well. Yeah, you know, Penny at AMT told me to reach out to him if we had any questions and we wanted to just get a little bit I more. I would love to get some more a information. A little deeper dive. Did she, did, do you have his phone number? I, I thought she texted it to you the other day. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it right here. Very good. Why don't you give him a call? I'll give him a call. This is Charlie. Hey, Charlie. This is Jason Zenger from Making Chips. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? And that, Jim from Making Chips is here as well. Yeah, he's here too. Yeah, I'm kind of here. I, I'm second fiddle today. So, so Charlie, Jim and I were just talking about how, you know, the automotive industry, it's, you know, it's really hard to figure out sometimes. And, you know, we all as manufacturing leaders, um, people that are suppliers to the manufacturing industry, like myself, we want to be better prepared and we want to understand really the trajectory of that, um, of that industry. Can you, can you give us a little bit of information on what to expect in the automotive industry? What the attendees of the GFMC conference should expect to hear from you? Well, on the whole, I would say the uh, the message is going to be that the outlook for the industry remains quite positive. Uh, we're looking at a very strong sales year this year for new vehicles, probably in the neighborhood of 17 million vehicles being sold. It's going to be one of the fifth best years on record somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, there's been a lot of talk recently that maybe we're we're post-peak, that the industry is now headed towards the next down cycle. That's what I heard. I hear the same thing. And, and I'll show some data on that that would kind of support that view. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're going back to where we were in 2009 when oh. the industry collapsed. We don't, want to go, we don't want to go back there, no. We certainly don't want to go back no. there. And there's very little uh, that, that anyone can see on the horizon that would suggest we're anywhere near uh, headed on that path. But we are starting to see a little bit of weakening in demand out in the marketplace. So the market is starting to pull back just a little bit. But that it still remains a very strong vehicle market where uh, consumers are spending as much money as they can to buy all the bells and whistles uh, on these vehicles. And the manufacturers themselves are making very strong profits. So it's still a very robust market right now. Well, first of all, thanks for answering our call today and, and giving us a little bit of insight for the listeners of the show. But, you know, I, I always think back, people are going to buy new cars, A, if they're employed, and B, if the financing is super low. That always is a big influencer. Do you see that uh, sustainability? I mean, I see it as a manufacturer employing people. I see sustainability. I think the next at least 18 months in the manufacturing environment is going to be really good. So that part of it. But what about financing options. Do you think that the prime interest rate is going to stay pretty low and people are going to be able to get that 0% 72-month financing? Because I think that really does drive new purchases. Hey, Jim, you better be careful about, you know, like trying to pretend like you're an economist. Why don't you let the experts, you know, know, try to predict the future? I think these are relevant questions. Well, you're absolutely right that, you know, the key ingredients to a robust market, and that certainly are, you got to have people employed, and you got to have uh, folks with the ability to borrow money to buy these vehicles because they're very expensive. And right now, we have both of those ingredients in the marketplace. And those that's expected to continue, uh, certainly over the near term. Uh, job creation has been very strong. Unemployment rate remains very low. And interest rates remain very low. And if right. there's been any particular good news that's pertinent to this uh, in recent months, it's been that uh, inflation data has been very muted. 
And that means there's not a lot of pressure on the Federal Reserve to start raising interest rates more right. aggressively. And so that means that we're going to have lower for longer, uh, where interest rates are going to remain quite low. That's a good tagline. Lower for longer. I like that. Lower for longer. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to have uh, zero for 60, zero for 72 for quite some time. Uh, and that means it's going to remain quite positive for, for vehicle buyers. Great. That's great to hear. So what can attendees of the GFMC conference expect to learn while they are there? Well, I'm going to take folks through uh, some of the key economic indicators and what they mean for the uh, the outlook for the automotive industry uh, and talk a bit about why we have such a strong market today. But then there is some bad news, unfortunately. Uh-oh. Here we go. The headwinds are starting to mount. Uh, I wouldn't call it a, uh, a hurricane just yet, but we are starting to see a tropical storm on the horizon. Uh, and that is that much of the sales success that we've had uh, since the 2009 recession is now starting to come back and bite us a little bit. And much of that is in the tune of leasing. And that many of the vehicles that we've been leasing over the last few years are now coming back to dealers uh, around the country and it's providing a very competitive product to a new vehicle purchase. Uh, you know, I can buy a model year 2018 for, for 35000 or I could get a model year 15 that's in really good shape uh, for you know, 60, 70% of that new vehicle uh, price. So uh, it's starting to create a new set of competition for the new vehicles out there. And that's part of the reason we're seeing this little bit of a, uh, a decline in the pace of vehicle sales in recent months. And so I'll show uh, folks what the data looks like that and then also discuss with people when we look a little bit longer term uh, why there's growing concern in the industry that we may see uh, vehicle sales decline even further. And how far out do you do you think that is, Charlie? 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? Yeah, I think we're looking uh, definitely uh, 18 to 24 months uh, over the horizon that we're really going to start to see things uh, decline. Most expectations at this point is that we're still looking at a a fairly strong year next year as well. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on what the government does and whether President Trump uh, is able to push through some of his uh, economic agenda plans, uh, particularly tax cuts. Uh, that could put a whole bunch of money into people's wallets that uh, is, a, is a big plus for new vehicle purchases. And as I said before, the, uh, the, the Federal Reserve and whether they raise interest rates. And if we see them raising uh, rates much more aggressively, yeah that's going to make that monthly payment go up much more quickly and, and, and make vehicles unaffordable for a, a group of people. So, you know, I, I really I really want to respect your time, Charlie, and we really appreciate, again, you, you taking our call and, and helping us get a little bit better pulse on what you're going to be talking about and how you can elevate the manufacturing community by being there and listening to what you have to present. I just want to remind everybody that this event is October 11th through the 13th. It's at downtown Atlanta, Georgia, the Marriott Marquis Hotel. Go to amtonline.org forward slash GFMC and uh, register right now. I think you can get uh, reduced rates on rooms right through a link on that site as well. Great. And we look forward to hearing what you have to say, Charlie. Thank you much. And I look forward to seeing everybody in October. All right. Goodbye now. Thanks for your time. So here we are. You think we equipped and inspired today? I think so. Yeah, I think absolutely. so too. I'm I'm very confident of that, and um, I always I always get a, a feel good moment when we're done with our interviews, and I, I'm I'm feeling that right now. Yeah, so. there, there's so many manufacturing leaders out there that their stories need to be told, and um, they need to inspire other manufacturing leaders that just need a you know a little bit of a kick in the butt to to do better and elevate their game and and take their companies to the next level. Sure. We just want to remind the listeners to. 
if they could help us in some small capacity by going to iTunes, do a rate and review. We love that. Five Makes stars. us smile. Always only five stars. I mean, if you want to give us a four and a half, we'll we'll take no. that. But Mm-mm. no, five only. only. Five. Okay. And then Jason and I are going to be kicking off the, and rebooting the Make and Elevate Mastermind series in the coming months. We're working um, with someone right now to make that come to fruition, and we've got a new logo coming. Yeah, because Jim and I really, you know, we do have a heart for seeing manufacturing leaders, um, you know, elevate their game, and we wanna we wanna see this industry really prosperous and and you know just to be able to work through the challenges. If it's a recession coming up, how do we elevate our game in order to work through that recession in, in a way that we could position our companies better for the future? And I don't, there's, there's I don't look forward to, to the I well, don't look forward to the day that we're sitting here talking it's coming, buddy. and the recession is upon us. I know. I and don't I'm either. gonna be like in tears. You know, not literally, but maybe. But you know, I, I'm gonna have that icky feeling in my stomach. So let's figure out how to be better prepared yeah, for it. Absolutely. We're going to have to work on uh, future episodes because, because you, it's, kind of, it's it's getting closer, right? Yeah. You still got to make chips and you got to pay the bills and yeah. you got to pay your team. Because as my dad always used to say, Jim, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. You bet. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. 